0: You're listening to Word on Health with Paul Pennington. On air and online, 52 weeks of the year. Taking you behind the healthcare headlines, this is Word on Health. It's the pressure of blood in the arteries and if it's too high over a period of time and not treated, then you'll be at increased risk of heart attack, stroke and heart failure. It's also a risk factor for kidney disease, dementia and some eye conditions. Also called hypertension, high blood pressure usually has no symptoms and is often termed the silent killer. The only way to find out what your blood pressure is, is to have regular checks. In other words, know your numbers. So do we. Professor Graham McGregor is from the charity Blood Pressure UK.
1: I think on the whole the answer is no but people are getting much more aware of the importance of blood pressure, more important than their weight, because it's a bigger determinant of how long you live. 30 to 40% of the adult population in the UK have high blood pressure. Now, that percentage increases as you get older, but even at 20 years old, 20% have high blood pressure. 50 years, about 50% do and at 80, 80%. Knowing what your blood pressure and knowing what you should do about it is the single most important thing you can do and is the best thing you'll ever have done in your life
0: the good news is that high blood pressure can be treated and there are lots of things you can do to lower your risk aren't there
1: it's never too late to do something it's better to start early in childhood because that's when your blood pressure starts going up the major factor that puts our blood pressure is the huge amount of salt that we eat quite unnecessarily courtesy of the food industry in the uk 80 percent of the salt we eat is already in the food and we must try and do something about that if you're able to make your own food from fresh ingredients and have more fresh fruit vegetables and so on and avoid the saturated fat. Then you're on a really healthy diet, and don't add salt to your food. And that will certainly bring your blood pressure down. Incidentally, it will also bring your cholesterol down. Exercise does play a role in regulating blood pressure and cholesterol, and increasing your exercise within your capabilities is beneficial.
0: Throughout the Know Your Numbers initiative, your charity are encouraging young and old to get tested. How important is it, though, if you are diagnosed with high blood pressure and are on treatment, that you continue taking the medication and following the life? style changes recommended by your doctor
1: well absolutely vital once you've been properly assessed by your family doctor or specialist and they've decided you need to go on tablets it's vital you take those tablets the rest of your life it's not a thing you treat for a few weeks blood pressure's with you for life the art is to get the individual with a blood pressure controlled feeling completely well and that's now possible to do in the vast majority
0: this is word on health with paul penningson it's a condition that three quarters of men aren't aware of and eight out of ten GPs are in the dark about. It affects 20% of men over the age of 45 and an as yet undetermined number of younger males. Yet only 1% of those have been diagnosed and are on treatment. Dr. Malcolm Carruthers is from the Center for Men's Health and a world authority on testosterone deficiency syndrome.
1: It wrecks the way that men feel. The energy drains away. Generally, they feel down, depressed, get quite confused and their memory goes. They're often very irritable. There seems to be a shift in the body's metabolism. Often men put on weight in spite of trying to follow a diet or trying to exercise, and their energy to exercise has gone, so they do put on quite a bit of weight, particularly around the middle.
0: Dr Carruthers, after the age of 30, men's levels of testosterone drop naturally. What trigger factors can impact on a man to make him testosterone deficient and in need of medical intervention?
1: Stress, anything that puts a man down, he loses his job or if he loses his partner. Too much alcohol might just be a possible cause and a whole variety of disorders generally.
0: It's linked to the likes of cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis and research in 2007 indicated that 50% of men with type 2. 2 diabetes live with erectile dysfunction, one of the key indicators of testosterone deficiency. But the condition isn't routinely assessed as part of diabetic checks. Kathy Moulton is a clinical advisor to Diabetes UK.
2: What we're hoping for is that doctors, when they're doing the annual review, will start to ask every man with type 2 diabetes about his sexual function. Typically a man with testosterone deficiency syndrome will carry a lot of weight around his middle. Now for a man with type 2 diabetes that is going to cause insulin resistance so he might be taking tablets or insulin to treat his diabetes but the fat that's carried around the middle isn't allowing the treatment to do its job properly. Treating that central adiposity is going to improve the insulin resistance and so his diabetes is going to be a better controlled. Now also we know that testosterone replacement therapy helps to reduce blood pressure. Men with type 2 diabetes are already at high risk of cardiovascular disease. So the fact that their blood pressure will be reduced, their risk of cardiovascular disease will be reduced. It's a win-win for everybody.
0: This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. One in six of us now live with some form of hearing loss and this is set to increase to one in five within the next two decades. Gemma Hitchin is from Action on Hearing Loss.
3: Lots of different things that can cause hearing loss and we can have it at any age but ageing is a significant factor in causing hearing loss. About 45% of over 50-year-olds that have some level of hearing loss that increases again as you get older to about 70% of over 70-year-olds.
0: And if you are encountering some form of undiagnosed hearing loss it's important to get it checked out isn't
3: it a lot of people do unfortunately think well you know there's nothing i can do i'll just get on with it but there is lots of things that you can do it's easy to get your hearing checked for example we have on our action on hearing loss website and you can take it over the phone we have an online hearing check and it's a nice easy test that you can do in the comfort of your own home it's actually a speech in noise test So it's measuring how well you can hear speech through noise. It only takes up to five minutes. It will then advise you whether you have a hearing loss or not and the steps that you need to take next.
0: Hearing tests on the NHS are free of charge and these days getting to see a hearing specialist is a lot easier once you've been referred by your GP. And should we need a free NHS hearing aid? These devices are like years away from the hearing aids of yesteryear aren't they?
3: They're much better now than what they used to be so I think there's a lot of misconceptions that you're going to walk away with this big banana shaped thing behind your ear that's going to be whistling all the time. It's going to give you lots of problems but that's not actually the case. Hearing aids are much better looking these days but also in terms of testing Technology, they're much better and we can fit them up to match your hearing loss much more accurately.
0: Of course hearing loss can strike at any age. Are there things that the younger generation can do to protect their precious
3: gift? Some forms of hearing loss are preventable so for example exposure to noise. One of the biggest concerns we have is exposure to music. Music is much more accessible now which is great but are people listening responsibly and they may not be aware that if they're listening to the levels quite loud and they keep doing that there's a danger of damaging the ears permanently. There are simple steps though that you can take. Keep an eye on the level of volume that you're listening at. Up to date mp3 players for example and on your mobile phone have a visual display so it will tell you how loud you're listening and if you're going above the danger zone. You can also buy some good quality noise reducing headphones. If You go to a club, wear earplugs. They're not going to stop you from enjoying the music.
0: And when it comes to cleaning we shouldn't stick anything smaller than our elbow in our ears should we?
3: That's actually very true. That's a phrase that we use very, very often in the audiology world. Don't put anything in your ears at all. Your ears are self-cleaning, so actually they do get rid of the wax and debris themselves. Actually, wax is part of the cleaning process, believe it or not. It gets rid of all the dead skin and bacteria and any bugs that might get caught in there. So if you use cotton buds, for example, you're scratching the ear canal and it prevents the wax from coming out of your ears naturally. And sometimes it can actually push the wax further down into the ear where it can get stuck and you can end up with all sorts of problems infections perforations in the eardrum which can lead to hearing loss as well
0: this is word on health with paul penningson They're the two bean-shaped organs located on either side of the body, just beneath the ribcage, that play a vital role in keeping us healthy. They filter waste products from the blood, help maintain blood pressure, keep the correct levels of chemicals in your body, which in turn will help heart and muscles function properly. They produce a type of vitamin D that keeps bones healthy and they help stimulate production of red blood cells. Yet, awareness of the importance of kidney health is poor. Fiona Loud is former policy director of the British Kidney Patient Association. Kidney
4: disease from moderate to severe, affects about 6% of our population. So it's absolutely vital that we increase awareness and understanding at all levels, and that's with GPs, with other healthcare professionals, and of course, very importantly, with members of the public. So people who perhaps have a history of kidney disease in their family are the kind of people that we'd want to be thinking, hmm is okay and if they have any concerns they should go to their gps and have them investigated
0: fiona what might be the telltale signs of kidney disease
4: well the thing with kidney disease is that actually it's silent so it's very difficult to tell the only time it becomes what should we say noisy is towards the end when one perhaps might experience swelling or feelings of breathlessness and nausea. So in its early stages, it's much more insidious than that, and it tends to affect the vascular system. And in fact, at its early stages, it's far more likely to relate to a heart condition or diabetes rather than to lead to anything such as kidney failure itself.
0: Are there things that increase our risk of developing kidney disease?
4: Some of the risks of that are the same as an increase one's risk of having a heart or any other type of vascular condition. So not eating too healthily, perhaps lots of salt and fat in the diet. High blood pressure is really quite closely related to it as well.
0: Are there groups of people at heightened risk?
4: Well, yes, there are, actually. First of all, if someone in your family has had kidney disease, or in fact if someone in your family has diabetes because they are quite closely related, those would be the people who perhaps might want to get themselves checked out. It's also fair to say that people in the South Asian community have a greater risk of developing kidney disease that develops more quickly, and therefore many people in the South Asian community will end up needing a kidney transplant.
0: You're listening to Word on Health, the report with its finger on the pulse of popular medicine, with Paul Pennington. Word on Health. Feel very best of health. It's been calculated that one person takes their own life every 40 seconds. This means more people end their lives a year than homicide or war combined. For the past decade, a collective of healthcare professionals, academics, charities, crisis workers and people who've attempted suicide across the world joined forces to provide an annual focus organised by the International Association for Suicide Prevention and the World Health Organisation to try and reduce deaths by suicide. Dr Alan Berman is from the International Association for Suicide Prevention. The
5: stigma is an incredible significant barrier to suicide prevention for many reasons. First and foremost, we know that about 90% of people who die by suicide or who make life-threatening attempts have a mental disorder. So first and foremost, stigma surrounds mental illness and the help-seeking that is necessary for those of us who are clinical professionals to treat those mental illnesses. We can treat and treat successfully roughly about 80% of all patients who come into our offices. Getting them into our offices is part of the problem. Males in particular are not help seekers. On top of that, stigma is there relative to the fear that a lot of people have about the treatment that is going to be more intensive than perhaps they're willing to engage.
0: Dr. Berman, what are the key ways that we can break stigma.
5: First, it requires, again, public awareness that will energize people who care or who have family member at risk for suicide to reduce the barriers. We have to advocate for greater efforts to find ways to mobilize men, in particular, to seek help. So really, stigma is only going to change over time when the populations in various countries recognize that these barriers must come down if we indeed are going to save lives and social systems that care about their population indeed should be reducing all forms of barriers when life is at stake.
0: From speaking with all the charities, psychiatrists and therapists I've been lucky enough to meet, one common wish has emerged and that is for those of us living with mental illness or going through a crisis to reach out for help sooner rather than later. Having lived with episodes of mental illness myself, I can understand the reticence that people have about coming forward and starting to talk about what they're going through. But it's that first step that can make one heck of a difference. There is an organisation we can approach anonymously without fear of prejudice or being judged. The Samaritans. I went to the central London branch of the Samaritans to meet Peter Gibson from the organisation.
6: 20,000 volunteers across 200 branches, England and Ireland, Scotland and Wales. And what we do is we are here 24-7 to talk to people. When life gets too much, it doesn't matter what the reason is, but if you've got nobody else to talk to, you can speak to us.
0: Telephone, text, email. When should people contact the Samaritans?
6: It's when problems are beginning. That's when we will probably do our best work. When life's got too much and you don't know who to turn to, that's the time to call Samaritans. It's a confidential service, right? Absolutely. 100% confidentiality. We don't tell anybody. Police, judiciary, no one. If someone turns to the Samaritans, what can they expect from you? People often wonder how talking helps. And it helps hugely. There are lots of places you can go where they'll actively intervene in your life. What we do is give people a chance to talk about things in an open way where they're in complete control. And often that space brings the stress levels down, for starters. It short-circuits some of the conversations that are going around in their head. But more often than not, it's a really safe place to talk about those things that
0: actually you find the hardest to talk about. You can contact the Samaritans anonymously. Their telephone number is... 08457 909090 Word on Health on air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington
4: Word on Health
0: your personal prescription for your very best of health